Welcome to By the Ghost Slate, where we take a look at national theater news and tell you how it fits into your neck of the woods, which is really just my poor attempt at wanting to talk about Into the Woods some more. Hi, I'm Ryan. And I am Cassie. And I applaud that segue, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, I will for sure do worse later. Yeah, so now that we're into the regular recording, talking about like Broadway news as it happens, except we're really going to steer hard into the fact that we will be like three weeks behind the times. Three weeks behind the times, maybe two. This will come out uh, in like 10 days, I think. But I think it's good. The big stuff will drop and then we will have time to like sit and ruminate with it. Right. And think about it. Right. Make sure we're bringing you like informed content. I think that's important, too, especially in, you know, the very quick consumer society of the Internet today. Like we hear the headline, we go, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then we forget about it or we don't think about it more or how it could, you know, affect our worlds or the artistic worlds at large also sometimes there's just like really cool things that happen and we need to constantly remind the world about that and actually that's where we have to start today with our opening number and our opening number is a standing ovation for bgsu alumni and tony winner jimmy wilson yay jimmy wilson congratulations there's a chance you might listen to this there is a chance uh Look, we are very Falcon proud of you. For those uh, who don't know what a strange loop is, Cassie, do you know what a strange loop is? I am familiar enough with a strange loop. So it is a new musical on Broadway. It is about a black gay theater usher who wants to be a playwright, I believe. And the show is largely the voices in his head and conversations that he has with himself. Is my understanding. That is way better than I was going to do. So great job. Wonderful. And our friend, um, classmate, slash fellow alumnus of BGSU Theater Department, um, Jimmy Wilson, is a producer on the show. And uh, it won a Tony. So Jimmy won a Tony. And that's phenomenal. Didn't even win just a Tony. Won the Tony. Won Best Musical. Yeah, the Tony. Uh. The Tony, amongst other things, but uh, just a just a great showing for BGSU. I think it's BGSU's first Tony. I do believe that's what the BG News said when they covered. It's kind of incredible that that is the first one, but it's also incredible that you know we are here and we've got people working on these new amazing shows, right? And it's not like he was a producer on the revival of The Music Man, which didn't win things, and we'll get to that. It's new, cool work that pushes the envelope, but also gives different voices a chance to have their voices heard. Um, and that's that's really cool. I did not know much about this until I found out that Jimmy was a producer on it, probably a couple weeks before the Tonys happened. And... I had no idea what it was. I kind of wrote it off. And I was like, oh, Jimmy's doing it. I guess I should know what this is. Good jo- good job. I'll pay attention. And then it just won. It's kind yeah. of amazing. It won a lot. Yes, it did. Uh, and that's good because it's one of those shows that feels like it needed some Tony Awards to keep mm-hmm. going. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And again, like you said, just giving voice to people who have not been able to have their voices heard, especially in such a prominent way. Like this sheds light and is going to bring more people to see the show and bring more people to listen to the show, um, including people who are going to identify with the message that's being shared and see Mm -hmm. that representation that is so important. Yeah, it's really important to see it. And it is really important to see it on the national stage uh, and national award shows and things like that and not just oh we found this new weird thing or we strangely cast this show or we're trying something new with a script that's old uh you know here at your college to try to get some more representation like those are all good things too but to have it legitimized like this is is huge that being said i am very interested in the new 1776 that's going to broadway 
Oh, dear Lord, yes. Okay, we are going to talk about new 1776. Yes, yes, please, right now. If Yeah, if you're not Go. familiar with the show, 1776 is a musical that was written in the late 60s, and it's about the um, writing and signing of the Declaration of Independence. And it was really important when it was written. It was written in the height of the Vietnam War. It came out the same year as Hair, um, and it was honestly kind of a progressive subversive message when it came out and mm-hmm. i think that's phenomenal but i think as time has progressed and we're not living in that reality anymore it's kind of become like a little bit too old white man america kind of deal mm-hmm. and so there is a new production that is coming to broadway that is all female and non-binary actors a majority of whom are actors of color. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like giving a Hamilton-esque spin to this story. Yeah. Um, and I, I've i always enjoyed the show. Um, I like the movie. I've seen several different stage productions. It's hard to not like a show that has Bill Daniels in the lead role, Mr. Feeney, who we adore. Yes. Um, very famously. <laughs> very famously. But my biggest complaint with it was always that as it's written, there's only two female characters in it. And they're not in that much of the show. You have Abigail Adams and you have Martha Jefferson. And right. I was like, well, that's not fair. There should be more roles for for women in this. And I'm really excited to see what comes of this production. It feels like the natural follow-up to Hamilton in some ways. Yeah. Because of the casting changes, but also being able to treat history with fresh eyes still tell the story correctly is not the right word, but tell the story um, with uh, uh, the gravitas that the story and the history holds and should hold. I mean, we're talking about, you know, world shaping events that happened with real people that were real people. And it's very cool, again, that we get this representation in these new different ways. We'll see if they get to put out a cast album. Oh, I hope so. I really, really hope so. I don't quite know how all of those rules will or won't work. Mm-hmm. I'm also interested to see how much uh, rewriting or moving songs around they do, because that tends to happen with some of these revivals of shows that, I mean, the original production was 1969, so that's 53 years ago. There was a revival in 1997, um, and then Encores did it in 2016. Here's my favorite fun fact about 1776, specifically the movie. They performed the show at the White House for Richard Nixon. (laughs) Right? That's a fun fact on its own, but that's not the fun fact. That's all that's needed. Richard Nixon reportedly enjoyed it, except for the song Cool Considerate Men, which is all of the, like, southern slave owners singing a song about, like, being towards the right of things and... Never, you know, going to that (laughs) radical, you know, and that was the part that Nixon didn't like. And he went to the film director and he told him, you will cut this song from the movie. Which they obviously did because they kowtowed to Nixon. They did kowtow to Nixon and the director said, cut it. And this was, of course, back when cutting something literally meant like cutting the strip of film out Mm -hmm. And the only reason that the footage of that song survives is because an intern picked the cutting up off the cutting room floor and hid it. Because otherwise huh. it was going to be destroyed. And so then it later, been destroyed, yeah. then later they were able to restore that footage into the 1776 movie. That's pretty good. And that's Fun Theater Facts with Cassie. Moving from uh, scandal to scandal... Because that's my next segue for this uh, episode of By the Ghost Light. Moving from scandal to scandal, Watergate happened, Nixon happened, and now we have a new scandal with just a great name uh, in the Broadway world, Scamilton. Scamilton. You knew we were going to talk about it. We had to talk about it. We have to talk about Scamilton. For those of you that don't know what Scamilton is, you're not on TikTok. You're on the wrong TikTok. You should definitely... uh, look at your algorithm, maybe start a new account to make sure that Scamilton videos are showing up. So there's this church. Yep. 
which is not a great start to any sentence. No. But here we are. They have reportedly done parodies of other musicals in the past uh, and rewritten parts of them to make them be about Jesus or saving lost souls or freeing yourself from sin or all of these, like all of these very, very Christian words, right? And it's one thing, you know, when you do a song and you change some words and you perform it for your 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 class, right? That's one thing. That happens all the time. It's another thing if you record yourself uh, covering a song and putting it on YouTube and not making money off of it. Uh, the Door Christian Fellowship Ministries in McAllen, Texas, performed Alexander Hamilton in its entirety, charged for it, streamed it online, and charged for the streamings, and changed parts of the show to make it be about whatever they've decided their version of Jesus is going to be. I thought this was a joke. I thought this was a great joke that somebody was trying to pull on the internet, like, ha, 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 look, no one would ever possibly do this. They did. They did. And what they did was illegal on several levels. We want to be careful with the word parody because parody is a very specific thing that is technically allowed under copyright law. It's how Starkid Productions is able to do all of their shows, like a very Potter musical. They can perform that. They can have, you know, rights for it for other people to perform. They can make money off of it while using the Harry Potter characters and setting and storylines mm -hmm. because it is a parody. They are mm -hmm. specifically twisting it. They're making fun of it, making it satirical. That's not what this church is doing with Hamilton. They are just performing Hamilton, except that they are changing lyrics and lines to have a evangelical Christian bent. And apparently this church has been doing this with shows for years. So first of all, commercial rights for Hamilton are not available. They don't exist. They do Can't not do exist. You cannot license the show. It's not even like, hey, you're too small to do this. We want to keep it to the bigger thing. Nobody can. Yeah. Full stop. No regional, no nothing. It's all equity tours. Go to Broadway. Go to the West End. That's it. Yeah. And so the way that licensing works in the theater world is that if a show is running on Broadway, generally speaking, those rights are not available. You cannot perform the show. If there is a tour, a national tour going on, the rights to that show are not available. There's a theater company in Northwest Ohio that was going to do Mamma Mia, and then Mamma Mia announced a national tour, and so when they applied for the rights, they were denied because those rights have been pulled. They're not available. And the rights for Hamilton have never been released because it is still running on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Just like the rights for Wicked are not available. And that's been on Broadway for 20, 30 years at this point. Not 30, 30 years. It's been 30 it's years. It's not 30 years. It's not quite that long yet. 20 years. I think they're coming up on 20. They're coming up on 20. I can do math. It's fine. I saw when I was in college, there was like some episode of, I don't know, CSI or SVU or something where they were like, this high school is doing Wicked. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, they're not. It, because when a show is running on Broadway, the rights are not available. You cannot perform that show somewhere else. And so that's the first thing, is that there is no license to do this show. So performing it at all is already right. illegal if you are collecting money from it. And then secondly, changing a script is is not allowed. Like, you can't just arbitrarily make changes. Right. Which is not to say that people don't. And that's, I think, the larger part of this conversation is, like, what this church in Texas is doing is not unique. I am positive that there are dozens, if not hundreds, of other theaters that play fast and loose with the idea of copyright in the same way. I know mm -hmm. of a few in my area who occasionally play fast and loose with copyright law a director about oh probably about 15 years ago now did a production of south pacific but he didn't like how it ended and so he wrote a scene that he tacked onto the end to give the show a happy ending okay that doesn't work for the show but it also materially changes the story that the author intended to convey right. that the writing team like they the writing team wrote this story this way for a reason 
And then copyright law protects their reasons. That's the whole point. There's often an argument about, uh, I think the easiest thing is swearing, like people uh, changing swear words, right? And that would still technically break copyright, but feels much more gray area. This whole whole thing, this whole copyright conversation is just 90-95% of the time it's a gray area. And it's, yeah, you probably shouldn't, but we kind of get it. We understand. And who's going to come after you? And they're not going to sue you. And just don't be an idiot about it and put it on the internet, right. Scamilton. <laughs> right. This is This is so cut and dry, though. And I think that's why it's such big news. Yeah, like it's it's obvious. Because listen, I have technically broken copyright in some of the shows that I've done. Me too. Because I have removed offensive language. Like I've I've taken out a line that is offensive and doesn't serve a purpose in the script. I have changed mm-hmm. outdated um references, you know, things like that. Like there's a line in thirteen where a character says, you know, he's trying, someone's trying to get him to talk about his feelings and his responses. That sounds kind of gay. And I'm like, we're not going to say that. I'm going to take that line out. The show was written sure. in 2009. It wasn't okay then, but people weren't as good about standing up to it. So I'm like, we're not going to say that line. We're going to take that out. There was a transphobic joke in the original script of Honk at one point. And I was like, mm-hmm. we're going to we're not going to say that we're going to take that out. Right. So I do make those changes occasionally to the show just to kind of bring a show slightly more in line with decency mm-hmm. and values. But like me making that argument, you could argue that the people in this church are doing the same thing by introducing you know, what they feel are their values with Jesus and and salvation and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. I don't think we're in any way on the same level and I'm in the right and they're very much not, but it's a conversation. Right. It's a whole conversation and it's, it, it's important that we have these conversations too. I think when we hear about this national news of, oh my God, somebody did what? It's like, well, actually, yeah, that's terrible. But the copyright conversation and what is or not, like there, you could argue that if an actor flubs a line and stumbles their way through it that that's not what the author wrote that is an extreme example but so our dear friend um abby once yes. like a decade ago directed for horizon youth theater and they had a student in their show i believe this was abby they had a student in their show who I had also worked with at one point who saw the script really as just more of a suggestion. Perfect. Love that. And just would go off the rails with ad-libbing. And it's not that he didn't know the lines. It's that he just chose to embellish the lines. Sure. In a way that was, like, incredibly frustrating as a director. <laughs> and apparently Abby cured him of this by pulling him aside and telling him, Hey, listen, there's this thing called copyright law. And if somebody finds out that you changed the lines to this show, you could get arrested and go to jail. Yes, you could. (laughs) Sure could. This kid was 11. (laughs) I mean, look, if that's what you got to do to get through to them, great. Uh, (laughs) But it's like extreme examples are the ones that get brought up. But it's also you know, true and part of the conversation of, well, you know, did they just flub a line and they stumbled their way through it and it kind of maybe sort of probably meant the same thing and it kept the show moving? Great. Did they, are they purposefully changing everything or putting their own spin on it and deciding what the show should have? That's, uh, that's a little different. Uh, I know I've been, I've done shows at least one show where we had to, and I say had to, I shouldn't say had to. We, I've done at least one show where we were uh, doing an older, uh, an older story. It was, it's not quite in public domain yet, uh, and it certainly wasn't at the time. And there were multiple versions of the script, and they were all crap, except parts of them were good. So the director made the decision to take pieces of each script, the good parts, which happened to kind of line up into 
what was a good whole script, honestly more true to the original source material than these complete terrible versions of crap, and put a whole thing together, and that was the show we did. And that's illegal. It is. It is illegal. That's illegal. Like, I understand the impulse, you know, right? At that point, I'm going to say just write your own adaptation of that story. Sure. But the the problem that we get into is we get into this question of intellectual property. And it's really interesting that Scamilton is, is happening right on the heels of the unofficial Bridgerton musical scandal as well. Oh, boy. Because it's that same kind of question, right, of intellectual property. So when you're talking about this situation with these three different plays – you would have had to get permission to perform from the publisher. You would have had to buy a license to do mm-hmm. this play. Well, if you're cobbling together three plays, you're only paying for a license technically to do one of them. Mm-hmm. And so that means that the one you're paying for the license for, that author is getting paid the royalties. That company is getting paid the royalties, but the other two are not. True. So you're using yep. their intellectual property And they're not being compensated for it. Mm -hmm. And that's where this discussion comes in. And that's what's going on with the Bridgerton unofficial musical as well is Barlow and Bear are taking the intellectual property of not just Netflix because that becomes like a corporation conversation, but Mm -hmm. like Shonda Rhimes and Julia Quinn. Yep. And they're using that intellectual property of somebody else for profit without compensating the creator. Right. And that's uh, just an incredible segue by Cassie there into... I do what I can. ...into the uh, mess, the disaster that it uh, has become of the unofficial Bridgerton musical. The darlings of TikTok no longer uh, decided to perform their music for profit for the first time, which was the line in the sand, apparently, that Netflix and Shonda Rhimes had drawn... Um, that I think we had all kind of assumed that that was the line in the sand, especially after uh, the, uh, Barlow and Bear came out and said that they weren't going to do more Bridgerton music, right? That that wasn't they, they weren't planning on doing an album too. Like that wasn't the point of it, all of it. Um, the point of all of it was for them to get famous and get more jobs, which you know respect the hustle and congratulations, you have jobs now. But also Netflix is suing you now because. They, yeah. I don't. I just don't understand what went through their heads that nobody said, "Hey, you have pushed the envelope so far. You have pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and you're somehow still okay and allowed to do all of this, and you've won a Grammy. Stop now!" And instead, they went and performed at the Kennedy Center for profit. And what I can't understand is that when Netflix found out about the Kennedy Center concert they offered barlow and bear the chance to purchase a license to do that concert and the royal albert hall concert they had the opportunity to do this legally and to provide that compensation for the intellectual property and they said no i don't turned it it down not understand that decision you had an out you had a way to do this correctly like you have to understand the conversations that's happening around your show, around your music already, because being a creator on the internet, and uh, we talked about Starkid earlier too, like it's a really fine line. Is it your own new thing or is it treading on somebody else's intellectual property? A lot of that law hasn't really been fleshed out, especially in regards to internet creators and, um, Obviously, we, I mean, we can talk about fan fiction. We can talk about a very Potter musical. We can talk about all of these things and who does get paid, who doesn't get paid. But oftentimes the, 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 like the unwritten rule has been if you don't make money off of this or you don't profit off of this, I should say, because sometimes, you know, that would be like a benefit or something like that, then the the big company or the original creator wouldn't come after hey these upstart internet folk who are just making a thing they love right because it's bad pr and i can't i cannot believe that netflix is in the right i know absolutely are they absolutely are are. they are and like not to sit here and be like the i told you so police or whatever but when we talked about the unofficial bridgerton album winning the grammy 
I said, this creator rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I feel kind of justified in that opinion now. And and my frustration with this really is I am a fan work creator. I wrote fan fiction all through high school, all through college. Um, I don't as much anymore because I'm too busy. I have participated very heavily in fan work creation. And I remember in the early 2000s, you know, having to put that giant disclaimer on the the top of anything, like stating, I don't own this. I'm not making money from this. This is the original Mm -hmm. creator. And as things have progressed, most most creators have gotten a lot more chill with the idea of fan fiction and the idea of fan works. But when a big name creator like this, like Barlow and Bear, does something like this with a fan work, it's hurting all of the little people who aren't famous on TikTok and winning Grammys. Yeah. It's making it more likely that the smaller creators will have the right to create something that they love for a book Mm -hmm. or a movie or a TV show that they love taken away from them because the larger creators don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with the question of it. And so they'll just shut it down all the way. And so for two people who claim to have started this because they loved Bridgerton so much Mm -hmm. to turn around and make this conscious decision, like that's the worst part of it for me. I want to read this statement from Netflix, um, and I think it sums it up pretty well. Netflix supports fan-generated content, but Barlow and Bear have taken this many steps further, seeking to create multiple revenue streams for themselves themselves, without formal permission to utilize the Bridgerton IP. We've tried hard to work with Barlow and Bear, and they have refused to cooperate. Uh, and that about does it there. I They also have merch. Yep. For this now, which is the multiple revenue streams that they're talking about, multiple concerts in multiple countries. Shonda Rhimes also said, uh, there's so much joy in seeing audiences fall in love with Bridgerton and watching the creative ways they express their fandom. What started as a fun celebration by Barlow and Bear on social media has turned into the blatant taking of intellectual property solely for Barlow and Bear's financial benefit. Here we are, 2022. Seems like we're going to get some uh, copyright law uh, 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 harsh judgments here that's going to set precedent for a very long time. We as creators better hope that Barlow and Bear settle. Yes. Because we need that. Yeah. So yeah, between between Netflix and Barlow and Bear and between uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the Scamilton and, Church because, and Disney because that's going to court most likely. Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> that, I think that'll be more interesting to see and possibly more damaging even mm-hmm. because that would be uh, Disney suing a church, which is a nonprofit. Yeah. The, the ramifications of that. And because it's so cut and dry. Oh yeah. Like, like, it, it's not, hey, this is a gray area, we're going to have to figure it out, and then president will get established, but we're not sure what it'll be, and yada, yada, yada. No, this is cut and dry. Disney is right. Netflix is right. Please settle. <laughs> Seriously. And now that you've uh, listened to an in-depth conversation about copyright on this, your theater podcast, um, yes. shall we talk about what some we are more for. uplifting theater news, some more exciting theater some news? Some uplifting theater news. Let's raise the curtain on some uh, casting announcements. Yes. It's casting announcement season as we go into the fall when we get more news about the upcoming uh, Broadway season. Uh, there's some very exciting announcements that... We can get to, but the only show that matters is Into the Woods. It's true. I now have Into the Woods merch because, uh, not because I went to see the show, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. But because um, one of my very good friends, Drew, who is the Mm co-host of my fairy tale podcast of Slippers and Spindles, which you can listen to if you like fairy tales. He went to New York and he saw Into the Woods and he bought me the satchel tote bag. With the checklist of items, he bought me some of the button pins, um, and he also, he saw the show twice. (laughs) He saw it two days in a row, and I'm like, you know, good for you. And he also sent me one of his playbills, which was super, super sweet. 
like this. Kind of like that. Uh, Ryan is holding up a uh, green tote bag with the list of of. Yeah, it's the, the list. Items. One of our it's Into the Woods Junior a uh, uh, cow cape hair slipper with all the colors and everything that uh one of the one of the parents handmade <laughs> all one of these for every cast. That member. is incredible and the kind and of thing team. that I did for my casts when I was in high school but no longer have the energy to do. No. Um this one is the official show merch uh for Into the Woods and so it's it's literally a checklist like they've got the little boxes beside and it's got like the cow in bold and then underneath as white as milk. Perfect. For all four of them. So and it's a great tote bag cuz it's a satchel style so it's got the long handle and I can like put it across my body. So that's just your director bag now. Uh yeah, it's not quite big enough to fit oh, no. my binder. Oh no! I it, I can get my binder inside of it, but I can't get it out very easily. It's so a it feels like it snug. might rip, like seems might a little rip bit. Or, oh, that's not great. Um, but yeah, so I did not get to see the show. I want it's so expensive to go to New York. It's so expensive to go to New York. I just bought a house, and I don't have any money right now, and I'm still trying. I'm right, trying exactly. so hard to go to New York. Um, but yeah, so there is new casting announcement because they're doing what they can to keep the show running really as long as possible. So they keep adding extensions. But of course, these big, famous Broadway music world names who initially signed on for this like three week engagement and encore, mm-hmm. you know, they can't be in a Broadway run indefinitely. And so they're just replacing them with big uh, other Broadway names. Right. And so we have replacement information on um, the baker and the baker's wife and Cinderella, Little Riding Hood, mm-hmm. and um, some shared casting with the witch. And I personally am most excited about Stephanie J. Block and Sebastian Arcellus taking over as the baker and the baker's wife. Don't get me wrong. I would absolutely love to see Sarah and uh, Brian play these parts because i'm on a first name basis with them you understand yes we understand yes i would dearly love to see them play these roles uh but i'm also very excited to see what stephanie and sebastian do with them especially because stephanie and sebastian are married in real life and i think that's cute it's it's very cool when a married couple gets to play a married couple um because there's an authenticity to it which is really great we will get a cast album of the original cast at some point. We know it's been recorded, mm-hmm. um, but all of these, uh, all of these uh, additional castings, like every time they're like, "Hey, there's somebody taking over," or they're going to share this, or we're figuring out schedules and we're bending over backwards to keep this revival going because everyone wants to see it and be involved for, you know, the Sondheim of it all. Every time you're like, oh, who did they, like, have to scrape the Broadway barrel to pull out? To, or it's, what are they going to, no, it's it's uh, A-listers every single time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They all are stars. They all know exactly what they're doing. I was afraid it was going to feel a little bit like Chicago casting, where it's stunt casting just to keep it going and sell tickets. And that's not what this is at all. No. At all. It almost feels like something that they could just keep doing because everybody wants to play these characters. This is such a beloved show, and I feel like all of your Broadway A-listers all have a dream role in this show. And so I would imagine that they've got lists like five actors deep of actors who have told Mm -hmm. their agents, I want in on that. Yeah, who are calling casting and being like hey this person wants in this person wants in and i would i would be so fascinated to see this show kind of cycle through roles in that way Mm -hmm. and i think it could really interestingly become an experiment in how many elements have to still be in place for it to be considered the same show sure like once you've completely swapped out the cast and it's an entirely new cast but it's the same blocking it's the same costumes it's the same theater Mm -hmm. you know 
is it still the same show? And I guess that's true of like any show that's run on Broadway for forever, like Wicked for 20 years. Like it's right. all a completely new cast than it was originally and it's still the same show. It's right. just happening so much faster. It's happening with Into within the Woods. weeks of this. Yeah. Right? It's crazy. I saw uh, Hamilton on Broadway in December and I don't believe any of the original cast is left at this point and it felt like a different show than the film and from even to the cast album like it felt different it was performed different different choices were made and that is just going to happen when different people perform the roles like for instance every person who has ever performed Elphaba deciding their own take on those big notes in Defying Gravity Mm -hmm. like but then it becomes like part of the show's mystique is how is this person going to make choices for that moment? And that's what we care about. Because um, Into the Woods is not a choreographed show. Like, it's not heavy on the dance. So you don't have as much of an onboarding into it. You just learn the blocking, learn the show. And then as long as you can sing it, that's it. Like, it could just keep going and going and going. Yeah. And I, I think... That would be phenomenal, personally, because then there's a higher chance that I might be able to go see it. Two more casting things here. I just think of the Who Run the World song. Anytime I see uh, Ariana DeBose on anything now, Mm because I think she just gets to do whatever she wants for forever now. Yeah. That just seems like it, like she just gets to pick. So uh, she's been uh, cast as the lead in uh, Amazon Prime video's new psychological thriller house of spoils okay it's an original idea production starts in the fall and there's not like there's very little to it there's a couple people attached to it to direct it and write it but it's apparently like an original horror series on amazon so you know it's going to be rated r and we'll see what happens but that's what she picked to do. So good on you, Ariana. Let's see what you do next. The other piece of news that I saw come across my desk today is that the New York Theater Workshop has cast leads for Merrily We Roll Along. I did see that. Jonathan Groff, Lindsay Mendez, and Daniel Radcliffe. And I'm so excited yeah. for Daniel Radcliffe to get to go back to Broadway. Absolutely. There was also a production casting announcement for a new production of Guys and Dolls that I was very excited about the main four Yes, there is. Oh, my gosh. We got to talk about that, too. James Monroe Iglehart, who was famous for doing the genie role originally in the Aladdin stage musical. Won the Tony. Won the Tony for it. He's Nathan Detroit. Jesse Mueller from, you know, Waitress, as well as other things, is Miss Adelaide, which I cannot wait to see clips of. Can't wait. Incredible. Um, Stephen Pascal is going to be Sky Masterson. And I'm pretty sure this is why Philippa Sue is leaving Into the Woods. Yes, it is. Because uh, she's going to go be Sarah Brown. And I am so excited. I'm so excited for this better be able to see this now that's the thing about the kennedy center stuff is that you can usually see at least parts of it on youtube so i like that and i will be interested to see how fully staged it is Mm -hmm. because a lot of times now people are partially staging or staged reading air heavy air quotes and we get to hear everybody saying and that's kind of it so i'm really hoping for a full staging of guys and dolls guys and dolls is one of my favorite shows it's probably top five for me Okay. Uh, it's probably top five for me. It's also the first musical I ever directed was Guys and Dolls. Excellent. So that holds a, a special place for me. Um, and then the film is, I mean, it's Brando and Sinatra. So, right. What more? Do you, what more could you want? Uh, but that'll be exciting. The first musical I ever directed was a very bad musical version of Alice in Wonderland. So I don't hold the same depth <laughs> of nostalgia. Well, mine was the junior version, so I'm sure you will immediately (laughs) write that experience off. We haven't actually talked about anything that we're doing, so we can briefly hit on that. You just cast a show, right? I did. I did. I just cast Little Women, and 
this was one of the unique experiences for me of I didn't really know how I was going to cast things before auditions. So a, a conversation for another episode is this idea mm-hmm. of precasting. And I I don't precast my shows. I'm, I very stringently don't precast my shows. But when I choose to do a show, I choose to do it because I know I have the people to do it. Right. And so uh, there have been times in the past where it's like, yes, I'm doing this show, but there's really only two people who could possibly play this role. So it's obviously going to be one of them. Right. But this one, first of all, I didn't get some of the people at auditions that I thought I was going to get. So I was working with a much different pool than I had originally envisioned to cast from. And I really did have a situation where I've got these three roles and these three people could fit into them in really any combination and have been spectacular. So putting the puzzle pieces together on this one was a lot more kind of fun to play around with. Than, than has been true for the last few shows. Not that casting's ever not fun. It's one of my favorite things, auditioning and seeing all those different potential puzzles is one of my favorite pieces of this. Mm-hmm. But I had one of my students make a comment because like, there was a two-person scene in callbacks and I had three people reading for these two parts. And so we literally did it six times in a row so I could see each one of the three in both of the parts against all of the other possible combinations so that you can make an informed decision. And one of them made the comment afterwards, like, I would love to know what is going through your head right now. And so I told them, I said, listen, when this show is completely done, when it's completely wrapped, Mm -hmm. if you are genuinely interested in that conversation, I will sit down with you and I will talk you through my casting process and what it is I'm looking for and what it is I'm taking notes. I think that's a valuable conversation that we as creators need to have more often not just on a podcast this is great but like getting to talk with actors about it about what the process looks like especially when they're young especially when they're children and teenagers and they don't know how things work and they need to understand how things work and how people think of things because it'll make them uh more uh, well-rounded theater artists but also there are methods to all of this there are reasons for all of the choices we make and sometimes those are tough choices and when you're 12 that can suck (laughs) but it's great to have those conversations with those students maybe but like you said after the show's done like get through it and then talk about it i mean i had a conversation today with one of my younger students as well who auditioned for her first show when she was like eight years old Mm-hmm. and didn't get cast in it and didn't do any didn't audition for another show for like three years because as she said in this conversation she's like well i just assumed that i was bad at acting and that's why i didn't get cast in the show and that's like heartbreaking to me because so often that's not the case so often it's not that you're not talented it's that there's only so many parts mm-hmm. and there are usually more experienced actors. Lots of times it's an age question. Like I just mm-hmm. don't have like with little women, this is my 13 and up production. I had a lot of middle schoolers audition and I don't have a lot of parts in little women for middle schoolers. And so I'm sitting there looking at these very, very talented young people. And one of them, one of my guys who auditioned my middle school guys, it has a beautiful, gorgeous voice. He's very talented but I'm not going to cast him as Lori or Bear or John Brooke because he would have right. to play romantic. He would have to play a romantic lead opposite a girl who would be in high school. Yeah. And I'm not comfortable asking him to do that. Yeah, that's a bad idea. So he got really a fairly small role. I cast him as one of the story characters. But that's not because of a lack of talent on his end. It's literally right. because of how old he is. And right. it's because of the people being cast in the other roles. And me trying to make a safe space for us to tell the story in. I think that people aren't honest about casting and it sucks. And the the numerous reasons for putting someone into a role or not putting someone into a role can be... I mean, like you said there, it's not even 
his fault. It's because the girl is a high schooler and we're not going to do that. Like, it's yeah. not his fault. It's just the way things are. We talk about type a lot because type is real. Type exists and it drives our business. It's not really a business for you and I, but it drives the business of theater. So it's mm-hmm. what people see and think about um, type or stereotype, what, however you want to think about it. And a lot of times casting conversations, post-casting conversations, stop there. Um, or even, you know, especially because we work with students a lot, you know, as they're talking with each other in the hallways or outside of classes or whatever, and getting excited to audition for the show, and they're figuring out who could play who, and they're, you know, doing all of these things. A lot of times it's leaning into type, who fits this the best mm-hmm. physically, or this is what the person looked like in the film or on Broadway or famously played something like it. So which 16-year-old is the closest to that? And that's where the conversation stops often. And that's not doing any of these students any any good. It's why I always appreciate it when a student comes to me after an audition and asks for, can I get feedback? Can I get, you know, some kind of information about why casting went this way and not Mm -hmm. this way? And I remember one very famously was for a show I assistant directed with our friend Tyler. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were doing a comedy called The Somewhat True Tale of Robin Hood. And it's a, a very comedic, like heavily slapstick version of the Robin Hood story. And we had our very clear, this guy is going to be Robin Hood. And we had two girls who could play Maid Marian. And both of them auditioned equally well. Both of them were equally talented. Both of them could have done the show and done the role equally well. And after the audition, the one who didn't get Maid Marian asked me for feedback. She's like, can you tell me what I can improve for next time? And I said, I'm going to be very honest with you. There's nothing you need to improve. You gave a fantastic audition, but you are the same height as our Robin Hood. And the other girl is six inches taller than our Robin Hood. And that was funnier mm-hmm. visually. And that is yep. literally what the casting decision came down to. Yes. And that is just what happens. Yeah. That's part so, yeah, of it. I agree. It is definitely a conversation that we should get into more. Um, especially because students who are auditioning, if the audition doesn't go the way they want it to, or even if it does, we should kind of instill in them getting that feedback and hearing a report on what could I do differently or what did I do that was successful. That's an important part of the growing process that I think anybody who's serious about going into this field needs to start making a habit as often as they can. Yeah. And, uh, we're running up on time for this episode here, so we'll talk about the uh, very lengthy, nonstop meat grinder that is uh, the audition process in the professional world on a different day. We will. But I know that you are in a show right now. I am in a show right now. I'm actually getting to act on a stage again. And Cassie, um, it's weird. Is it strange? It's so strange. The last time I was in a show was six years ago. Uh, I was in Sylvia. I played Greg. Um, the director described him as milk toast, which I don't know if, if that's a compliment or not. Um, basically, <laughs> I, basically, if Matthew Broderick has played the role, I can knock it out of the park. Beautiful. Like, that's a strange type, but that's where I am. Uh, this role is not a Matthew Broderick role. I'm playing Trip in Five Women Wearing the Same Dress by Alan Ball. Uh, and that is a great script. And we're having a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of fun to uh, show up to half of the rehearsals, uh, perform my uh, one scene, which is the end of the show. It's like it's like 25 minutes of stage time, but it's like the end of the show. I'm not in act one. I'm not, So I just show up to rehearsals and watch these very funny, talented ladies just go at it for an hour and a half. And then I show up. It's great. Yeah, it's always it's interesting for me the more I've gotten into my directing career to return to acting on the stage. I have personally Mm -hmm. found that I have a very hard time with it because I have very high standards for direction. Sure. Yep. 
And so it's it's hard sometimes to set that aside if I don't agree with the directorial choices that are being made. I am fighting that as well. I've had a lot of leeway, uh, which has been both good and bad. And we're not even halfway through the rehearsal process at this point. So we're, we still have plenty to do yet. We're not off book yet. It has been eye-opening to realize uh, just how very bad I am at memorizing lines. <laughs> I am really, really bad at memorizing lines. And it's just a good reminder every now and then getting up on the stage and remembering what it's like to be an actor and what it feels like to stand on the stage and the lights to go on and what the rehearsal process feels like. And cool, great, awesome. Now I'm going to go back to the... <laughs> back to my directing <laughs> right exactly i'm uh potentially facing being a stage manager for a show in february and i have not been a stage manager for Ooh. nigh on a decade or more uh so that's going to be an interesting hat shift as well well thank you so much for uh coming along with us on this journey by the ghost light we need your input because all good theaters and in this case, the All Good Theater podcasts and theater networks need to have a ghost. All ghost stories are 100% factual and true and did happen. Yes. And we need to determine what some of those facts are. I think that the ghost-like ghost likes to growl. Because personally, as we've been recording, I've heard a lot of growling today. I don't know if There's you've heard been it. a lot of growling. It's gotten a little bassy. Right, it's certainly mm-hmm. been low end growling. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that. Maybe it's like into one of those cones. Right. Yeah. Like from a great distance. Maybe they're stuck in the computer. Maybe we also need a name for this ghost. We do need a name for this ghost. I have not been enlightened with the ghost's name yet. Maybe if any of our dear listeners are uh, enlightened by the ghost to to bequeath upon us the ghost's name they would share it in the discord maybe i'm thinking like carl right carl's carl. a good ghost name i just wanted to get to say carl i'm glad i could set time. you up for success in that way thanks so much for listening uh we will be back in two weeks with another uh episode of by the ghost light you can check us out on twitter at by the ghost light and our network at glm pods ghostlightmedia.net and all of the fine fine shows on the network thanks for listening i'm ryan i'm cassie and we'll be back next time by the ghost light. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.